1: Only from Rustolium.
2: It's the Ancients on History Hit. I'm Tristan Hughes, your host, and in today's podcast, well, I'm really excited for this episode because we're kicking off a new series going across August and hopefully beyond two. All about the ancient Americas. We're going to be talking about Mesoamerica, South America, and hopefully an episode or two on ancient North America as well. And to kick it all off, we were delighted to get on the podcast at very short notice, so we're incredibly grateful to him fitting us into his very busy schedule. We got on the podcast Professor Matthew Restall from Penn State University. Matthew came on the pod to talk all about the Maya Now, talking all about the Maya in one podcast is not possible. So we're focusing in here, especially on the Maya calendar. What this was, the various versions of the calendar which they had. And of course, we're going to be talking about the calendar which referred to 2012 as being the end. But did the Maya believe that there was going to be an apocalypse at this time? Did they think there was going to be Armageddon as has been commonly perceived in recent history? Or did they think something else? Well, Matthew brilliantly sorts fact from fiction on all of this, and I know you're going to absolutely love this episode. And so without further ado, to talk all about the Maya, calendars, and the proposed apocalypse, here's Matthew. Matthew, it's great to have you on the podcast today. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, You're more than welcome, and I'm incredibly grateful uh, for you doing especially at such short notice, and I know you're incredibly busy at the moment. And to talk about the Maya, and in particular uh, the Maya calendars, because it almost seems as if this part of the Maya, Matthew, is it fair to say today perhaps it's one of the most talked about parts of their legacy?
3: Yes, I think it is, and I think for an unfortunate reason, uh, probably what you're thinking of, Tristan, is the belief about a decade ago that the Maya had predicted that the world was going to end in 2012. And so obviously it did not. Some people think it sort of still is slowly ending, but they've given up blaming the Maya for that. But I I think that there's still kind of a lingering interest in in the Maya calendar as a result. And And a lot of that is to do with not simply ignorance about The Maya calendar, but a larger ignorance about the indigenous peoples of Mexico and Central America. And very often the image that comes to mind when you think of the Maya calendar is actually an Aztec image, not a Maya image.
2: Well, we're going to delve into all of that, as you say. So thank you for highlighting that straight away. But a few background questions to to kick this all off. I mean, first off, who were the Maya, Matthew?
3: Just to start with, it's a nice, easy, short question. Why don't you, Tristan? (laughs) Well, the first thing I always say in response to that question is, the Maya still are. So one of the great misconceptions about the Maya is that the Maya were a civilization that long ago disappeared. And it's easy to get that impression if you're one of the few people who have the privilege of traveling down and visiting ancient Maya cities. Um, And what you see is, you know, old stone buildings with no sign of anyone having lived in them for many hundreds of years. And it reinforces this idea of an ancient lost civilization. What happened to them? Where did all the people go? It's this great mystery. And all of that is a big kind of misconception and misunderstanding. First of all, the Maya are still with us. So the Maya is a civilization that goes back thousands of years. And it persists to this day and obviously has, has changed over time, particularly the last 500 years as a result of Europeans coming to the Americas and settling in Maya lands. And then those Europeans then leaving their colonies and those colonies turning into modern nations, none of which are defined as Maya modern nations. So that the Maya area is carved up by different different nations And those colonies weren't even all Spanish colonies. One of them was eventually a British colony. So that's the first thing I would say is the Maya still are with us, which you don't really want to hear. What you really want to hear when you ask that question is, oh, the Maya was an ancient civilization that created an incredible writing system that had astonishing mathematical knowledge and understanding um, of planetary movements. In other words, they had this very sophisticated grasp of how the universe functioned, our place in the universe, the passage of time, how to build cities with beautiful artwork. And the more, the more we kind of look into those aspects of the Maya, which are t- totally fascinate us, the more we end up going back into the earlier part of the question, which is, well, where is all that stuff now? What happened to them?
2: And well, going off that then, Matthew, it almost feels as if it was good that you explained that straight off the bat, because it almost feels as if there is this misconception, as you highlighted there. And I guess kind of keeping on that trend before keeping on with what you were saying there. I mean, talk to us about the misconception that sometimes we get with the word Maya compared to the word Mayun, because this seems to be quite a big differentiation too.
3: Yes, I mean, it's a trivial thing, but it's something that that Maya scholars take seriously, that as soon as you see the Mayans with an N, it's kind of a signal that that's not someone who's a Maya scholar or a Mayanist. It's not someone who studies the Maya. That's a sort of the popular way of looking at it. Mayan scholars use for the language or languages, because there are dozens of different Mayan languages it's not even clear how many at one point there were, but there are about thirty that are still spoken today. Obviously, many of them are endangered and are, and are in danger of disappearing. But the main Mayan languages, like Yucatec Mayan, Kaxchil, and Quiche Mayan from Guatemala, are spoken by millions of people in Guatemala, Mexico, and in the Mayan the the Mayan I just said it right the Maya diaspora. Uh, mostly in the United States and and Canada, but in other countries as well. So the Maya is the proper way of referring to, to Maya peoples. And you didn't ask this, but I'll throw this in anyway. We made up that word. So Maya is a Yucatec Maya word. It's not clear exactly its origins and what it initially referred to. Going back 500 years, it, it, it seems as if it just referred to one particular part of the Yucatan Peninsula and the people who lived in that, in that particular region. But it is us, modern peoples, who have used the term to create a civilizational area that encompasses what we call the Maya peoples. They never had a sense of common identity. They were never united in a, in a political empire. They never saw themselves all as one people as opposed to non-Maya peoples who lived to the, to the north and south of them. So we have kind of an, an imposed an identity on them, which in the modern period, Maya peoples themselves have then embraced. And in the twentieth century in response to discrimination against Maya peoples, particularly in, in Guatemala, but also in in Mexico to some extent in Belize and Honduras, a pan Maya movement was created. And that was created by Maya peoples, right? To sort of say, Okay, you assign this identity to us and now we're going to use it to pursue our rights and defend and defend ourselves.
2: So why therefore does this Words Maya come about to encompass all of these peoples who, as you say, cover such a huge geographic area. And I'm presuming these peoples, you know, it they would perhaps see themselves as being quite, you know, different from each other with different centers, different communities, perhaps different ways of uh, ruling mm-hmm. and so on. I mean, h- how does the name Maya therefore come about if they didn't refer to it? Yeah, I see themselves?
3: what I think. What you're really asking, Tristan, correct me if I'm wrong, is how do you know if someone is a Maya person or not? How do you know they're Maya and not say Nahua? So, the Nahuas or Nahuac speakers, an ethnic group to the north and west of the Maya, and often popularly called Aztecs. So, how do you know when you've sort of crossed that line? I mean, the line would have been kind of a blurred one, but scholars debated. And continue to debate and discuss what that means Maya, and that ends up being part of the whole field of Maya studies, right? You get a room full of Mayanists, art historians, archaeologists, anthropologists, historians to talk about what Maya means and how you define it you've got you know days and days and days and days of scholars discussing things like how we classify languages so where a particular Mayan language is a Mayan language and not a Mayan language. So the linguists would have their say and they'd say, yep, here's a boundary. And that includes this whole area, Yucatan, Guatemala, there's the boundary. Art historians would, would say, well, it's about artistic styles and modes of expression. And that more or less locks in with language. There's sort of other historical traditions, including most significantly A tradition that dies out in the Maya area around the time Europeans arrive, but it's really important for many hundreds of years, and that is a tradition of divine kings and queens. So there's a whole rulership system that is manifested in architecture, in art, in political structures, social structures. When people know a little bit about the Maya, maybe they've been to the British Museum and there's that Mexico room in the British Museum where there's some classic Maya stone sculptures that were taken from Guatemala a long time ago. And they see those, they that's what they think of. They think of Maya kings with elaborate headdresses and, and glyphs, identifying who they were and maybe they're performing... Some kind of self sacrificial ritual where they 're bleeding, cutting themselves to put blood on a on a piece of sacred paper, that sort of thing, so sure, you find sacred kings all over the world. I mean you know the divine right of kings in in Britain, for example, but there 's something very specific about the way that culture developed in the Maya area, particularly in northern Guatemala, but in other parts of the Maya area that help us to define who the maya were and who they were not that's a great question i mean as i say it's like you know we could sit around for a week and get all these other scholars in and and debate that endlessly and where people disagree is where kind of the fun starts right
2: I mean, no, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you asked that question, you know, from my from my rambling there. And I really do appreciate that, Matthew. And I think from what you're saying there, and this might seem obvious as a Joe Blogs to say, but obviously with the Maya, as it's such a long, stretching area, you know, people, I mean, civilization is, as it's now been termed. And as you say, going down to the present day, is it always quite hard to talk about the Maya, for instance, because if we're talking about the Maya 2000 years ago, the Maya back then, I'm presuming you can see some very significant differences between the Maya then and let's say the Maya nearer the time of the Aztecs, nearer the time of people coming in like post 1000 AD.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's the same thinking about history of Britain and, you know think about who the people were at the time of Stonehenge, and then who they are in the medieval period, and even up to today, It's we just should sort of take for granted. Of course, it's the same people, but it's also completely different, all at the same time, right? And we kind of instinctively get how that works. But then we imagine if we look at another society or another region, somehow it's going to be completely different. And we, we love to seize on the ways in which they were different without accepting that, if we were to go back in time, the differences that we would find and be struck by would be more question of time and not region. does, does that? Does that? Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. When I yeah when when I talk to students, I say you know before we do that, let's 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 just say we're we're in England, right? Not in the United States. So let's 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 go back to England in the year one thousand and spend a few weeks there. It would not be fun, by the way, but we let's do that, and then we'll go to a Maya city in the year 1000. And that will help us to see like, okay, now I see how human beings in the year 1000 all over the world lived a certain way. They had certain kinds of technologies and so on. And I always make the argument that I think if you then had a choice, you're now stuck back in the year 1000, where do you wanna be? Everyone would choose to be in a Maya city, but that might just be a kind of romantic bias on my part. I mean, they got better food just to start with. They've got like, you know, all kinds of different squash and amazing fish and they're not walking around eating raw onions like the English are but that might just be my
2: my romanticism as I said well, you, you go for it. I mean, it's a bit too far in the future <laughs> for us ancients, I'm afraid. I mean, that's going for the medieval times I'm um, in the podcast. But let, let's go a bit further back in time, therefore. let talk about the Maya. I've got notes such as the classic period here and perhaps even a bit before that. So maybe like a couple of thousand years ago, Matthew, around that time, I know it's another big question, but I'm hoping you can explain. like What would a Maya city uh, look like? What are some of the things that, like some of the most extraordinary elements of the Maya civilization, let's say in around the year zero or the first millennium BC?
3: Yeah, that it gets harder when you go back like that, right? Because we know less. And partly we know less because the Maya have tended to settle sites and and stay in those sites for thousands of years. Despite the fact that when we go there now, we see all these ruined cities, and 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 then when I say, but there's still millions of Maya. Where are they? Well, they're over there. They're not living in the same. It seems like they constantly moved around. But in the larger scale of things, there are sites that are in you know northern Guatemala and Belize and so on, which we know were settled continuously for thousands of years. And what that means is that. The earlier cities are buried underneath the later ones. Now archaeologists have developed incredible skills, particularly over the last fifty years, at essentially burrowing through those layers without destroying things or absolute minimal amounts of destruction in order to find those smaller structures underneath and this is kind of a an oversimplification. I think archaeologists would not like me saying this very much, but the cities are very similar, they're just smaller in scale. So if you wanna go back 2000 years, are you gonna see massive pyramids? Not so much, but you are gonna see stone structures. You'll see pyramids with temples on top. You'll see stone palaces built around squares or plazas, oriented in a particular way that that oriented towards the movement of the planets and the rising and falling of the, and setting of the sun oriented around where water's sources of water are and so on so stone structures go back way way earlier than we f- at first thought or that scholars first thought i think maya writing goes back earlier than was first thought so if you want to go back to the year zero there was a time when it was believed that the hieroglyphic writing systems had not yet developed and now we know that they had already developed not as much as they do later but they they were already there including numbers so there's also mathematical knowledge that is being written down and obviously written down on all kinds of media that have not survived right but yeah you know, paper and um bone and and so on and or, or on cloth so what we have is just the stone parts left and those have not survived as well as they have from a from a thousand years ago and then the the last thing I'll say is I think what that would really strike us going back is is color when you go to Maya cities today, there's no color. And that's a hard one to kind of explain to people. You've really got to use your imagination. These stone, gray stone buildings, crumbling and so on, would have been faced in stucco, white stucco and then painted. So Maya cities, even going back it's kind of to the early days of the Maya, as the Maya kind of coming into to being as a civilization, they're where they lived and worked would have been places of colour and art.
2: And Matthew, that's such a good point to leave it on there because its I think it's such an important one to stress wherever you are in the ancient world, whether well, it's an ancient Egyptian temple, you know, classical Greece and Rome, you always think the white, but actually it's much more, it's always coloured. Or Neolithic Orkney, there's evidence of colour, pigments there too. Or as you say, in Mesoamerica with Mm. the Maya. As you say there, and I think I just want to repeat that because it's such an important point to stress, that there would have been colour everywhere. These would have been very vibrant communities with all these different, well, shades of colour everywhere you looked.
3: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I sort of, in a way, I blame photography this is sounds, sounds like an idiotic thing to say, but, you know, with the history of photography being the, the world looked like it was black and white in the past and then it became colour. Maybe that just portrays my generation. I'm, you know, I'm older than you, Tristan. I think my kids don't have that same kind of association because you can't get them to watch black and white movies anyway, right? But I think in my generation, it's this kind of idea as a kid. Oh, the world used to be black and white. It used to be monochrome. And now it's colour. And in some ways, it's the other way
2: around. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's go on from there. I could ask so many different questions because the Maya is such a huge topic. But you did mention their mathematics. And I think that's a nice kind of lead into talking more about the calendar, because from what you were saying, Matthew, so the Maya, they were big into maths, were they? They were, We know that they were quite well interested in mathematics.
3: Yes, they were absolutely f- fascinated by numbers and by the passage of time. And by the connection between the movement of planets and the sun and the moon and, and our own planet and how that connects to time. They were an agricultural society, of course, like all societies were in the world. And, and therefore, that would have been kind of the origins of their fascination. But they really took it to a whole other kind of level and developed a, a calendar that was extremely complex and had multiple layers, layers and levels to it. Now, is it more complex than our calendar? Okay, so Minus will argue about this. I I know my scholars will say, yes, absolutely it was. And this is why. But if you try and explain this, say, to, to undergrad students and say, well, tell me what day it is today, they will start giving you the day in multiple calendrical cycles, right? The week, the month, the year and so on. And they'll realize, oh, okay, I guess I do live in a system in which we you know, I have grasped a complex calendar. So, okay, the Maya one was the same, except the numbers are slightly different, (laughs) right? It's like, you've got 20-day months and a 360-day annual cycle and so on. And their larger counts of centuries and and thousands of years or millennia were different and much bigger because they had a vigesimal counting system, not a decimal counting system. So that automatically means that larger numbers, you know, become bigger. And they had also worked out these calculations to trying to figure out how old the universe was. And they had come up with a massive, massive sum that goes back billions of years, which is actually not that far off what modern scholars of that kind of thing will will tell us, right? And that big cycle then goes all the way forward as well and then reboots itself just like our centuries and millennia do. It happened to be that in 2012, in December 2012, a long count of several thousands of years, over 4,000 years, reboots itself in the Maya calendar. That doesn't mean to say that the world was gonna end. They were not, the whole point of calendrics for the Maya was not to try and figure out when the world was gonna end. It was to better understand how the world functioned. There was something positive, not negative about it.
2: Aeroplanes, spacesuits, condoms, coffee, plastic surgery, warships. Over on the patented podcast by History Hit, we bring you the fascinating stories of history's most impactful inventions and the people who claim these ideas as their own. We uncover exceptional stories behind everyday objects. We manage to put two men on the moon before we put wheels on suitcases. Unpack invention myths... So the prince's widow immediately becomes certain. Thomas Edison stole her husband's invention and her husband disappeared around the same time, can only have been eliminated by Thomas Edison, who at the time is arguably the most famous person in the West. And look backwards to understand technologies that are still in progress.
3: You know, when people turn around to me and say, oh, why would you want to live forever? Life's rubbish. I just think that's a bit sad. I think it's a worthwhile thing to do. And
2: the thing that really makes it worthwhile is the fact that you could make it go on forever. So subscribe to Patented from History Hit on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to catch new episodes every Wednesday and Sunday.
0: A lot can happen in the next 3 years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance.
2: I mean, that's what I was going to ask about next before going more into that 2012 area was to stick a bit more on the origins and me asking the really difficult questions. But like, do we have any rough idea when Maya calendars start coming about and why? From what you were hinting at there, is it more, for instance, is it more an astronomical interest in the universe purpose? Or do we think it perhaps might be more aligned with what's happening like ancient Rome, like more focused on agriculture?
3: Yeah, it's both, it's it's all of those things, right? Because they have, because the calendars function at different levels. So just like us, there's a calendar that's very much oriented to the year. And so therefore to agricultural cycles, summer and winter and so on. There's calendars that are more oriented to a longer span, which corresponds more or less to the human lifespan. That Right, that's obvious too. There are larger ones where there's a kind of an awareness that there are certain events that take place, human events, natural events, that don't fit into those two things. And there's maybe some unpredictability to it, right? Like periods of drought, you know, you're in an area of hurricanes, for example, and earthquakes, like when do things, they try and figure out how, if it's possible to predict um, when things like that happen as well. And they and they discover as much as, as we do that that's not, they're not completely predictable. So it's about agricultural cycles, but it's also about an understanding of kind of really big questions right, looking up into the night sky and go, okay, what is going on here? There's constant movement. This is not a static system. This is a dynamic system. The time does not stop. It keeps going on and on and on. So what does that mean and how do we kind of fit into that and better understand it? But your question about when it all begins, we don't know. So if you take that date that that ended in 2012 and then that calendar that began again, which in the Maya calendar is not 2012, it's 13 with a whole bunch of zeros after it. So you can count that back as the Maya did to a kind of a beginning date. And that's over 4,000 years earlier. And it's extremely unlikely, I think all Maya scholars would believe it's extremely unlikely that at that date, Maya's sat around and came up with the calendar, right? That was kind of, that's backdated, like our calendar. Look, the year's 2022, did everybody sit around in the year zero and say, let's start the calendar now? No, right, that al- almost never happens. So. <laughs> so so, so this is a knowledge that gradually evolved and developed back in that period, which is a pretty dynamic period in terms of Maya scholarship, I the Maya archeologists are really learning a lot more about that time period every single year. But it's the one that you're kind of interested in you referring to Tristan going back 2,000 years, 2,500 years, right back there.
2: Absolutely, Matthew. And it's, I mean, it's so interesting and it's always a difficult question, you know, when we think things like that come about. But it seems like also we do know a lot about these calendars and these these various types of calendars, which we will get into. My next question, therefore, is how do we know all of this? What are our sources so that we know about this area of, of Maya antiquity? Well, the short answer is the writing system the Maya hieroglyphic writing system
3: is is really one of the most extraordinary scripts in human history. And people who study it, of course, you become you become very enamored of it, right? And I'm not what Mayanists would call an epigrapher. So my specialty is not reading Maya glyphs. So I'm sort of in that place. Not one of those guys, but I'm also not someone who, you know, knows nothing about Maya glyphs and so on. I work with Maya language texts written alphabetically in the colonial period. So I have, I think, some objectivity, at least I would claim that. And I have to say it's a spectacular system. It's not only is it very complex in how it is able to convey specific words, concepts, it has pictographic elements to it, it has syllabic elements to it, you know, like our alphabet so it's it has it's very complex and sophisticated. And there's nothing you cannot convey in it. You could, you know, translate a Shakespeare play into Maya hieroglyphs. I'm sure it's just a matter of time before somebody does that. I hope so. But it's also beautiful. As a piece of script, it's spectacular. It just a, a piece of alphabetic script does not even come close to comparing. In fact, I would say our alphabet's probably the most least beautiful looking script. I mean, East Asian script are more beautiful to look at, but none of them compare to my, to my hieroglyphs, particularly as glyphic texts often um, you know, on paper or on stone would also have been colored as well. Because the glyphic texts contain calendrical information, glyphically written and also numerically, and also figuratively as well, because the really complex religious system of hundreds and hundreds of of deities so the deities weren't discrete right it wasn't like well that's it wasn't like in the classical system were like that's this god of that and then that's the god of this we talk about the plarlock being the god of rain and so on we simplify it for us to be able to follow it but it's very complex and each deity had different aspects could have multiple aspects that related to Gender, direction, you know, all kinds of other concepts, colors, and so on. So, that religious system is connected to the calendrical system, and that that's part of what this mind-boggling work that epigraphers and art historians and and linguists and so on have been have been working on for the last fifty years is trying to figure out what the Maya glyphs said. And in the course of figuring that out, they discover all these things about my political systems
2: and about my calendrics. And going on from that, I wish I could ask more about it, but I might not just have enough time. But if we're going, you know, figuring out what they're saying from looking at these myoglyphs, what has this therefore revealed about, let's say, the particular calendar, which they thought, you know, there was going to be an ending in 2012? What has the literature What has the source material revealed about the nature of this particular Maya calendar?
3: I think what it revealed is a huge disconnect between the kind of popular perception and fear and what Maya scholars' understanding of the calendar. There was more or less a consensus among Mayanists that the Maya were not obsessed with apocalypse or with world ending, you know, but maybe they might have wondered about what was going to happen and so on. Well, When there was this then larger perception and a whole industry of 2012-ology, as it became called, trying to convince people, look out, the world's going to end. And the Maya predicted it. That forced Mayanists to say, "Okay, let's be more clear. Let's be more detailed. Let's be more thorough in trying to understand Maya calendrics. And I think that then pushed Mayanists even more to say this is not a civilization that was obsessed with apocalypse at all. For them, these huge expanses of time were not about endings. They were about beginnings. They were about persistence and continuity, not about destruction and the end. And that sort of helps us to think about Maya life in kind of different ways, right? As being something that they assumed and imagined had lasted for a really, really long time and will continue to last for a really, really long time. And I think if they were to come forward in, that, in our imaginary time machine, they would be surprised at how obsessed we are with the end of the world. Like, where does that, where does that come from? And of course, that does where it's come from. It's a, it's a Western civilization theme. It goes back thousands of years in our civilization to the Mediterranean world. And it's us that brought this idea into Maya culture. We implanted that in Maya civilization, but it's really us that's obsessed with the apocalypse that's rooted in judeo-christian culture right so it's that's it's judaism and christianity going way back it's something that is tracked through medieval europe and becomes more intense during the medieval period in the face of endless rounds of of plagues and pandemics right trying people trying to make sense of why is why is this happening to humanity those people then travel to the new world to convert indigenous peoples including the maya and they are absolutely obsessed with the notion of the apocalypse and with the second coming and believe that if they the christ will come very soon if they can convert all native peoples to christianity including the maya so they are literally implanting the notion of the apocalypse into maya civilization
2: right. how that's so interesting indeed so actually in regards to the maya perspective this dates of 2012 do we think it was more therefore if you're looking at the source material more just the end of a cycle a resetting there is as you say no association with apocalypse with with the world ending on this date
3: no exactly it's like y2k or less so right because we were worried that computers would cause the world to end or something Uh, you know if europeans had not come to the Maya world and the Maya world had continued isolated from europe all the way through to 2012, who knows what would have happened, but there's no evidence that they would have been wringing their hands expecting the world to end. What the evidence is that there would have been a lot of very elaborate rituals, marking the passage of time and focused on rebirth, not end. Because it's the moment the cycle ends, it restarts. It's like the, you know, the odometer on your car. There's no like stop and then that's it the number turns over and you've already begun the next cycle immediately. So I, I think that's what we would have, I can't know for sure, but I think that's what we would have found, this kind of
2: celebration of a beginning that's super interesting and you know what i've no regrets about going outside of ancient history to ask that question and (laughs) we do legacy of stuff sometimes and there's a great example of that too i mean i'd like to ask a couple of uh, more questions before we wrap up completely and also the fact that obviously we've just focused on that particular calendar but there are other calendars too from maya times what other sorts of calendar were there from the maya focused around what sorts of areas are there any particular examples, which are really good to highlight here, that it's not just the 2012 calendar?
3: Yeah, I mean, the 2012 one is usually called the long count. And it's, you know, it's an era of 13 cycles of 400 years, right? So that's kind of the scale that, that we're talking about. But the shorter ones are the smaller ones are more like our year and with, with 20 day months. And those track things like the movements there's a Venus calendar that tracks the movements of Venus. There are other time cycles that relate to the human gestation period and so on. So it it kind of it goes from the great cosmic ideas and scale all the way
2: down to something that's very that's very human and, and ties into daily life. It's that multifunctional purpose, isn't it? And it's it's also. Another thing I'd like to ask around that is, and once again, it might seem quite an obvious question, but I remember doing a podcast a few months back about the emergence of the Julian calendar with Julius Caesar and the creation of a fixed calendar at that time. With the Maya, are all of their calendars, are they fixed or do we have any idea whether some could, you know, potentially dates could be moved around like we do have evidence of happening in the ancient Mediterranean world?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm not sure I can answer that in detail. I know there has been some discussion of that, that it was assumed that these were all fixed and that there was no crisis point at any moment where there there was a resetting. I might be wrong, but I believe that some scholars think that there may have been moments when a resetting was done possibly for political reasons. So in order to make the moment when a, a certain individual became king, or when he was born or when his father or ancestors became the rulers of that particular city state, that that was a date that was numerically or numerologically was more significant. And that might've caused some kind of calendrical shifts. I think the problem, the problem with that argument is that the Maya were not all united in a single empire. So when we're talking about resetting the calendar in, Roman times or in the medieval Europe, there's a religious sort of unification before, right, of Christendom before the Reformation. So a decision like that can be made and it, once it's the papacy has sort of approved of the decision, then it, it works its way down. And there's no such centralization in the Maya world at all. If one city-state is changing the calendar, then scholars are going to see a disconnect between their calendar and the calendar in other in other city-states. So the argument, therefore, would be that no, unless you can find really specific moment where that happens, then it's not going to.
2: No, fair enough. I'm just full of incredibly difficult questions today.
3: These are these are good. If you keep going, you're going to have a question I can't even say a single thing about. So. Is that your goal, Tristan? To push me to the edge of my knowledge.
2: <laughs> that's what I do. Okay, only a couple of questions, then we'll wrap up. But I mean, that was a really nice thing, what you were saying there, you know, how, you know, it's not just, you know, there are these different peoples, it's not one big group with, with the Maya. And let's say, you keep on it, maybe 2,000, 1,500 years ago. Do we think, therefore, it's possible that, if that's the case, that the Maya calendar was actually being used outside of the area we refer to as the Maya world as well at that time?
3: My God, you you are really like, that's an excellent question. I'm now, I'm going to want to go ask my colleagues now about that question. I mean, I'm guessing that the, the calendar would have been known about. But the thing is, as you move out of the Maya era up into Mexico, through what is now Oaxaca, where the Mixtec and Zapotec peoples had their own writing system and calendrical knowledge. And then up into central Mexico where, well, the Aztecs, but the people who came before going back hundreds and thousands of years, their predecessors, they had their own writing system too. And they're related, but they're not the same. The Maya are part of a larger cultural area or civilizational area that you mentioned earlier, Mesoamerica, which goes from Northern Mexico into down into Central America. So I think probably now I'm like thinking of on my feet about this question, I think the calendar would have been used outside the Maya area, but it wouldn't have quite been the same calendar. But it, they would have been perfectly comprehensible, right? You, I mean, there would have been a language difference. The different words would be used. Maybe the one calendar is more important than the other and so on. The long count, the really big one, was not recorded outside the Maya area. So it probably was known about... On the edges of the Maya area, but when, and possibly in central Mexico, they were aware of that, but they
2: didn't use it. Fair enough. Good answer, my friend. And well, this has been absolutely great. A bit squirrely.
3: It was a bit of a politician's answer.
2: Well, I mean, that's all we want. It's all good at the moment. And like, that was great. And it's been a, an awesome chat, Matthew. And I, we've got to wrap it up now. But last and certainly not least, I mean, if there was one thing, apart from me asking all these incredibly difficult questions that you wanted people to take away from this chat today, I mean, what would it be?
3: Don't forget the Maya are still with us. Their civilization still exists. Maya people are still among us.
2: Think Just think about that. It's important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matthew, this has been a great chat. Last but certainly not least, you've written books on the Maya and one of your most recent is called? The Maya, a very short introduction. Written in the
3: brilliant Oxford series, the very short introduction series.
2: Brilliant. Well, it just goes for me to say, Matthew, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Well, thanks for the
3: opportunity. Enjoyed talking to you. Thanks, Chris.
2: Well, there you go. There was Professor Matthew Restall explaining all about the Maya calendar 2012 and whether these people did believe in an apocalypse happening on that date. It was great to get Matthew on the podcast at such short notice. We're incredibly grateful to him for fitting us in to his very busy schedule. And it's also been a very quick turnaround by the whole Ancients team, particularly our producers, Elena and Annie. So huge kudos, huge praise to them for getting this episode edited and ready for this Sunday's release. Now, last things from me, you've heard it before, you're going to hear it again, you know what the drill is by now. If you would like more Ancient's content in the meantime, where you know what you can do. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter via a link in the description below. Every week I write a bit of a blurb for that newsletter where we explain what's been happening in Team Ancient History Hit World. And of course on the side, we're also convincing our newsletter guru, Lily, that of all the historical periods... In the world, it's ancient history that is the coolest of them all. Ancient history is where it's at. We're getting there, but more and more people on the newsletter well, that will help our little mission even more so speaking of missions it's the mission of this podcast to share these incredible stories from ancient history to give them the light that they deserve it's been so wonderful such a privilege to do this podcast and long may it continue but if you'd like to help out well it's always appreciated if you'd be kind enough to leave us a lovely rating on either apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from the whole team reads greatly appreciated but that's enough from me and i'll see you in the next episode
1: Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Ancients. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe.